Welcome to the AccuSmile Podcast, where it's my mission to help new practitioners of Chinese medicine navigate from school to career. I'm Stacy. I'm an acupuncturist and herbalist, podcaster, coach, and creator of Magical Networks. Be sure to check out all four pillars of the podcast where I cover case studies to sharpen your clinical skills, mindset Mondays to support your mental health, new practitioner interviews to prove that you are not alone, and all things business from launching your practice to negotiating your pay if you choose to be an employee. This podcast is made possible by our sponsors. So if you would like to support the podcast, be sure to check out the sponsors page on the website to claim your special AccuSprout offers. When I first started my practice, I was actually kind of a disaster when it came to my books. I hired an accountant who actually laundered money from another client. So I went on a quest to find a bookkeeper who really tailors to and loves working with acupuncturists. And I found Sarah at Horizon West Bookkeeping, and I'm feeling pretty fortunate. Sarah offers acupuncturists and the AccuSprout community a couple different packages so that she can meet you where you are. If you're new to practice, she can come in and do what's called a QuickBooks startup package for you, where you get pretty deep discounts on QuickBooks for about four months. She sets up your chart of accounts, assists with linking your bank accounts, makes sure that all the transactions are imported, and then teaches you how to use it with two hours of one-on-one training. It's a killer deal. She also offers cleanup packages and catch-up packages. Not catch-up packages, guys. Catch-up packages. And a monthly package, which is what I use. And I find it quite affordable and so, so, so worth it because, honestly, I never, since the beginning, have been able to keep up with my bookkeeping. You can schedule a free 15-minute consultation with Sarah to make sure that you guys are the right fit for each other. And you can do that at horizonwestbookkeeping.com forward slash AccuSprout or look for the link in the show notes. Today's episode is also sponsored by Jane, an all-in-one practice management software with helpful features to power your acupuncture practice. Jane offers flexible scheduling options that match the way you work. You have the option of offering one-on-one online sessions for initial consults, meeting in person, and scheduling staggered appointments to accommodate treating patients across different treatment rooms. Jane has you covered. Keep the relaxation going with a seamless checkout experience using Jane's PCI-compliant payment solution, Jane Payments. You can collect patient credit cards securely through your intake form or at the time of booking with an online booking payment policy. This can also help reduce no-shows in your practice. It's a win-win. And Jane's unlimited SMS and email reminders can be sent automatically before each appointment as an extra layer of no-show protection. To learn more about how Jane's helpful features can help you power your acupuncture practice, head to jane.app to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their team. Or if you're ready to get started, head on over to accusprout.com forward slash Jane. And remember to use the code accusprout1mo at the time of sign up to get a one-month grace period applied to your new account. So the DAOM is the pinnacle degree. It's kind of the top of the mountain of formal education. And then the the DACM is kind of the, I'm going to say the, the quickest, most expeditious way to achieve the title of doctorate. Right. So for the, the layperson's perspective, DAOM, DACM, they look the same. They sound the same. They might not have an idea that there's actually different educational qualifications inherent in those two degrees. So certainly the lay people 
might not know what these differences are, but then like you're saying, even within our own field, so many do not quite understand all these competing terms and titles and doctorates. Welcome to the Sprout Podcast, where it's my mission to create a supportive community for new practitioners of Chinese medicine, while I give you the information and inspiration to help you grow towards your vision of success in your first couple years of practice. This is Stacey Whitcomb, and I am your host. Welcome back to the show, Aki Sprouts. Today, we're talking to Phil Settles of ACCHS. That's the Academy of Chinese Culture and Health Sciences in Oakland, California. Phil is the dean of the DAOM program there, and I often see him on Facebook trying to explain the difference between a DAOM program and a DACM program to people who are trying to determine whether or not they want to continue their education and get their doctoral degree. So I invited him on today to have a discussion about the differences between a DACM and a DAOM. We talk about why the DACM even came about, as well as the many pathways to a doctoral degree and what may or may not be in your best interest. We chat about why the DAOM is considered the pinnacle degree. And lastly, we dive into the DAOM program at ACCHS and let Phil talk a little bit about his program, which honestly, I think is probably one of the best. Without further ado, here's Phil. Hey, Phil, welcome back to the podcast. It's so great to have you here. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, and what we're going to talk about today. Sure. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, Stacy. It's nice to see you again. And uh, a little bit about me. I graduated from ACHS in Oakland, California in 2011. I got licensed in early 2012. And right out of school, I was given an opportunity to to help design a doctorate program at ACCHS. This was very meaningful to me because as I was completing my MSTCM degree, I was thinking about doing some of the existing doctoral programs. And at that point in time, they were all DAOMs, which is a postgraduate two-year program, which we'll talk about today. And none of the programs really called out to me. So the moment I was given an opportunity to kind of design one from scratch with no real limitations on what it could look like, Well, first, I had a lot of learning to do, but I got to be very creative in that process. So I would work on that at the school and at the same time teach classes once my three years had elapsed after graduation and at the same time be in clinic. So I had a lot of different hats that I would wear, all related to Chinese medicine the practice, the education, and the kind of curriculum development. Wow. So today we're going to talk a little bit about the differences between the doctoral programs. I happen to see so many questions on Facebook, and I see you answer the questions all the time. And I just sort of, you know, it's obvious that even practitioners who are out there and have been out there for a long time are confused by this new rollout. And I say new was like, what, in the last five to seven years of a different doctoral program. So can we start by perhaps like explaining the differences because there's a difference between say like a DACM and a DAOM. Can you explain that? Yes. Thank you. Yeah, I think, I think that I can. There's a, there's a history to the way doctorate programs look like in Chinese medicine and none of them are super old. So when we say new and we speak about the, the DACMs, 
And I think you're right. We go back probably in that five to seven year kind of category. And then the DAOMs are older than that, but still relatively new. And so about 10, 12 years ago, there was only one type of program that was a DAOM. And it was introduced for those people who had already completed a master's degree. So had their foundational degree done, they were in practice already. And they had the option to upgrade from a master's to a doctorate by coming back for a two-year postgraduate degree. Now, the DAOM was really introduced as a clinical doctorate. So the main goal of a DAOM was to increase a practitioner's knowledge, skills, and abilities in the practice of Chinese medicine. Do you know when the DAOM came about and maybe who some, what some of the first schools were that carried that? I don't know exactly. I I'm, I have a head a figure in my mind of around 2007. Okay. Some of the very early schools, I know five branches had a DAOM relatively early. I imagine PCOM, which was PCOM right. at the time, and now yeah. the name has changed, but yeah. the Pacific College of Oriental Medicine at the time, I'm sure was among the first. Right. ACTCM, I would imagine, was among those first as well. And so this this... This program we're looking at furthering your clinical skills. It seems like somewhere along the lines, there was this shift of trying to be integrative. Well, I think there was, there's always a component of a DAOM called the capstone. Yeah. Okay. And the capstone is a big research paper that's written in kind of a scientific paper format, generally with the same structure, the skeleton of abstract introduction, research methods, results, conclusion. So it reads like a research paper. Very often it's a kind of case report or a very elaborated on case study where you take a certain topic and you present that topic through the actual clinical work with one or a small group of patients. But sometimes it's more about a specific kind of theoretical topic like Zhang Zhongjing's use of formula elements within within his formulas, etc. So there's a fair bit of creativity in what those capstones look like. But that is for any student undertaking that clinical doctorate, there is that research component. Okay. So now can you explain this other doctoral program? Yeah. So I think somewhere in this history of the schools kind of speaking with one another, they'd compare themselves to other healthcare fields and say, well, our our master's degrees are so robust. We have so many hours of training and we end up with a master's. And in some other complementary fields like chiropractic or physical therapy, their their basic education might look similar in terms of hours, but they get a doctorate degree. And so in comparing ourselves with other fields, we might say we're at a disadvantage in the way we've structured our education. And in order to change our master's from having a master's title to a doctorate title, what would we need to add to it? And so I think that line of reasoning really gave birth to this new kind of doctorate, the, the, what's now called the DACM. And it's gone through a few different names. At some point, it was the first professional doctorate, meaning people who enter the field for the first time could go directly into a doctorate program instead of a master's. And for those people who already had a master's degree, then it would be called the transitional doctorate. So it's their transition from the master's to the doctorate level. Now, that terminology has been a little bit phased out, FPD and transitional. I don't think we hear that as much anymore. I think to me, it seems like maybe those were phased out because it almost seems like we're diminishing the 
I don't know where I'm, what word I'm looking for. The, the, uh-huh. we're making Maybe it a lesser appeal. than, like a lesser than doctorate, right? Uh, yeah. I think there is an element of that. And I think ACOM, which is the accrediting body for all of this education in Chinese medicine in the U.S., I believe that they really do recognize a hierarchy of degrees and that they do place the DAOM at the top of that hierarchy. So they had the term terminal degree or terminal doctorate, which sounds life-threatening. <laughs> it's a little well, ominous. Well, it is. And, the time you get there, you're like, how many, how many years have you taken off your life in the educational uh, system? Absolutely. Yeah. That's a lot of chi. Yeah. But the term terminal degree, just it signifies that it's the end degree. It's the highest level of formal education we can get in Chinese medicine in the U.S. But a different term has been kind of coined at this point that has the same meaning, but just sounds a little less grave and like an illness and it's pinnacle degree. So the DAOM is the pinnacle degree. It's kind of the top of the mountain of formal education. And then the the DACM is kind of the, I'm going to say the, the quickest, most expeditious way to achieve the title of doctorate. Right. So for the, the layperson's perspective, DAOM, DACM, they look the same. They sound the same. They might not have an idea that there's actually different educational qualifications inherent in those two degrees. So certainly the lay people might not know what these differences are, but then like you're saying, even within our own field, so many do not quite understand all these competing terms and titles and doctorates. Or what to look for upon entry into school. So all of this came about kind of like as right as I was graduating. So I graduated in at the very end of 2017. And I know at that time, OCOM, where I graduated from, was entertaining. They were just restructuring everything. And they were trying to figure out how to bring in a DACM program as well, because OCOM has a pretty robust DAOM program. And I remember just at that time, I was like, dang, you know, like, how do I, it was too late. Like, your mind is already like, I got to move forward or stay for the DAOM or whatever. It was, that was overwhelming. But now this is really, there's a lot. And what is the focus of the DACM versus the DAOM? And is that perhaps school specific? How does that look? I would say that broadly from the curriculums that I've looked at, and it's been it's been probably two, three years since I've printed out the curriculums from all the different programs to just kind of see what courses are involved with a DACM. Now, from the perspective of, I'm going to speak first from the perspective of the transitional doctorate for those who already have a master's and are looking to then complete their DACM. And the, the terminology used by some of the schools is really like complete your doctorate degree, not undertake a doctorate degree. But it's the assumption that your master's is already most of your doctorate. So as opposed to the DAOM, again, where they're seen as these different tiered programs, the the language of the DACM was like, you've already been doing a doctorate and you're almost there. Just come back and finish it. So it speaks to like, you've already really earned this. Just, just complete it. Yeah. And the curriculums that I've seen did not really have courses that were involved in the theory, like the foundations, the diagnosis, the practice of acupuncture or herbs. There was an assumption that you've already gotten that in your master's. You're already kind of good enough and you know enough about Chinese medicine. So let's round off that degree with knowledge about integrative healthcare systems, interprofessional communication, maybe a little bit more ethics. 
and practice management type courses, research methodology, things, I, I believe things that look good to maybe an interdisciplinary clinic that wants to take on an acupuncture graduate to work alongside other healthcare professionals. This was also going on at a similar time that the government, the secretary of education was looking at private post-secondary institutions and saying, you have to justify your tuition by how much your graduates are making. For a lot of schools, this was, this was ominous and this looked scary. So I think one of the ways schools might address this was to try to make their students, their graduates more hireable, as opposed to necessarily saying, let's make them better clinicians so they succeed in their individual clinics. It was, let's make it easier to hire these students by giving them more Western looking backgrounds. Is really interesting because I re also recall this because uh, I remember the, like the loaning, the, what, what department do you call that in the schools? <laughs> the the student aid, thank you. The yeah. student aid department was really getting evaluated at that time too, because they were really looking at where these loan, where this loan money was going, and making sure that everybody was working within the parameters that they should be, and staying in their lane with their decisions. It, it that's a really good point, and I did forget about that. So that's an interesting perspective with which to shape a DACM program. That explains something to me because I was always like. The DACM, I'm not interested in research to that extent. I'm not interested in those things per se. And yet I also, at that point, was like really tired and not interested in losing more hair and getting fatter yeah. and older over a DA home <laughs> program. Like I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. It just wasn't so, but also knowing that the public, all they hear is doctor. Right. Like once again, yeah. like, so that, that made it challenging for me too, because I was looking at, wow. So the cost of a DAOM program, which I would rather get in the future anyway, because it's more interesting to me is more expensive than just knocking out this, like, like you said, you're, you're almost there, you know, and, and I've yeah. researched the length of these DACAM programs and some of them are, are pretty quick you can get them done within a year and i'm even i'm even going to tag on i think that i don't think i know that one of my person in my cohort actually had her dacm finished by the time she was done with boards how's that possible that she did that like she yeah was like finishing clinic and finishing her masters and then had already gone to pcom i think it was at the time and was like knocked that out and was like, it was amazing. I hadn't even thought about that, but anyway. yeah, yeah. There's she was also I like think... 27. So there's that. <laughs> yeah. Her, her Jing was very intact at that point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. And I think it really is for someone whose main goal is the title. It's clearly a program designed for convenience. Yeah. Most of those programs are online. A lot of them are asynchronous. You can do them at your own pace. You don't have to attend live classes. Yeah. So if you say, what are the obstacles to a practitioner getting a new degree, another degree? I think those programs have done a really good job of trying to remove those obstacles, which makes them very, very appealing. Yeah. The appeal might be more convenience rather than content matter at that point for a lot of these programs. I agree. I agree. I agree. Because I've looked at it too. And I'm like, you know, is, is, is paying 10 to 12,000 to 15,000 really like 
can I recover that? Is that worth the title? Did I just knock it out and do it and suck it up, <laughs> you know? And yeah, you those know, are is, valid questions. Is, is yeah. there a return on And it sounds really like, uh, you know, not living my best full hearted life, <laughs> you know, like it's about the money. So for the people looking at the DACM pro- pro- programs, some of those programs are going to be the launching point to get you to the next step of maybe being hired by like, is it the NIHS? There's a, is it the NIHHS? Do you know the National Institute for Health and Compliment? I'm going to put that in the link, you guys, because yeah. everybody really needs to pick up the emails from, and I think it is NIHHS, but it's it's a very large board that is trying to help push complementary and alternative medicine into the mainstream based on research. And if you're a research person and you're interested in that, you can get grants. Like you guys need to really watch that. It's fascinating. And so I'll put that in the show notes and my apologies for not actually knowing the name of it beforehand. Yeah. (laughs) I think you got us most of the way there because it's part of the the NIH. And I believe at least a few years ago, but I believe maybe still the director, I think is Helen Langevin. Okay. I might be mispronouncing her name, but she's been involved in acupuncture research for many years. She's like a fascia person. So she's been looking at interface between what we know about fascia and what's known about the channels within Chinese medicine. So I think she is in a sense, aware of Chinese medicine, acupuncture, a proponent of. So I think that's a a really great idea for our our field to kind of keep our eyes on that department within the NIH. Yeah. And I love taking a little bit of a segue, but I feel like this is a really important segue that if you if you are interested in research and this this literally may be a, a springboard for you to get in there and start doing some work to, you know, because I, I have also seen like the opioid crisis lately. I've been seeing them talking about, you know, of course, trauma and we're right there. So if you're interested in research, go for it. Check it check it out. Okay. Yeah, so, that's a good point. Yeah. So and somehow when you just mentioned the opioid crisis, and you mentioned kind of the opportunities and the, the, the springboarding ability of a doctorate title. It did remind me of one of the kind of ads, a promotional material put out by one of the schools a couple of years ago, where it was testimonials from graduates from their, their DACM, from their transitional doctorate at that point. And I found it notable that every one of those testimonials touched on how it's beneficial to have the doctorate title. But none of those testimonials touched on what they learned in the program or how they benefited from yes. from yes. The, the knowledge or skills that they'd learned. So it was much more, in a sense, pragmatic about how you present to the public and how you can interface with other professionals and maybe do something like pursue a grant, for yeah. instance, like you're mentioning from the NIH. Yeah. And, and it simply was not focused on clinical development and ability. So it's a different goal. And that's why I like, that's why I really wanted to have this conversation, especially with you, because obviously you developed a whole DAOM program. So we know where your, where your heart is for you. But I also feel like this is the DACM is something that we really should talk about. And I think this is where a lot of practitioners and people coming into the field get confused about what it's for. And it also can be the springboard for the DAOM program. You know, like what if you went ahead and got your DACM, got hired by a hospital, and now you're ready to like up your clinical game, you know? Yeah, yeah. And we have seen some people 
come into the, the ACCHS DAOM program or engage with, with admissions who already have a DACM yeah. and they feel like they've done the, maybe the responsible thing of achieving the title they wanted, but still there's a little bit of that feeling like they yeah. didn't reach the clinical knowledge they were looking for. Yeah. So I think, I think most people either do or should feel like that out of a master's. I, I personally, instead of comparing our field to say physical therapists or chiropractors, I kind of compare our field to Chinese medicine in China. I've been there a few times. I've interfaced with students there. I've seen what their bachelor's, their master's, and their PhD programs are and the number of hours they get in the hospital system. And no one would ever graduate from a bachelor's of medicine in China and say, I got it now. I know Chinese medicine and I should open up my clinic and kick butt. Like they just wouldn't say that in China. There's a humility that comes with you know, how they see their own professors and the history and the lineage of Chinese medicine. So there's an acceptance that when you finish the bachelor's, okay, you've got, you know, a white belt or a yellow belt at this point, and you should keep going. In the United States, it's very different. We don't have residency programs in hospitals. We're not going to be hired. Most of us are not going to be hired in a hospital system where we still have mentors, et cetera. We graduate and we hang up our shingle and we start seeing patients. And having confidence is a huge boon to our clinics. You know, that comes across when we, when we speak with our patients, when we market and promote ourselves, confidence is, is helpful, but I think balance with humility is also helpful. So I think someone coming out of school should not necessarily feel like, like they really, their master, <clears throat> they have mastery over this material and they should still be thinking about how to learn and get better. And they're going to do their patients a favor by always increasing their own ability and uh, becoming lifelong learners, which is one of the goals that ACOM kind of puts as a competency or a, a goal within these doctorate programs is that you really become a lifelong learner. So out of a master's or out of a DACM, I think a lot of students still feel like, okay, I want to get better. I want to learn. You know, I have all these patients who come in with pain and we've had this opioid e epidemic. Uh, and then also pain itself remains an epidemic. And we want to treat those people to the best of our ability. Some people might have really a passion for a gynecology or fertility type medicine, geriatrics, like healthy aging, different specialization programs that are within the different DAOMs. People, even if they already have a doctorate title, might decide they really want to get better at that type of medicine. So circle back to a DAOM degree. I think this in that whole line of like thinking that you just laid out, this, the reason that I do what I do is because there's a gap when you graduate. Because, because we're not in China and the way that we're set up is that you either come out and you work for someone, or if you're lucky, it, I mean, if you can find a job, and, or you create your own clinic with which we are also very ill-equipped to do. The schools are you know, I look at this and we, uh, you hear people complain all the time. We didn't get enough of this education in school. We don't know business. And, you know, we're, I mean, typically, generally speaking, we're practitioners first anyway. How could you know how to run a business? And we're not really interested in that when we're in school. So we're really falling asleep in that class, you know, to yeah. be honest. Sorry, but I wasn't. I love it. But, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> but there's like, there's this like so much involved with graduating with your master's. And so many decisions yeah. to make right upon graduation. And there's a part of me that I, I don't know what the best, I mean, it's up to the person to choose like what the best, best next step is, right? But if you come out, if you don't have business chops, it doesn't matter if you have a DAOM, you know? Yeah. You've yeah. Got to, we know that. 
we know the statistics for our field about, I, I don't know if it's a rumor, I don't know if it's a made up number, but for years we've been saying that, that five years out of school, 50% are no longer in practice. Wow. Whether or not it's a made up figure, it doesn't sound too off to me. It sounds plausible or at least ballpark. So it's tough being an independent business owner in any field is tough. And we go through a medical schooling, not a how to set up a business and succeed as a business person schooling. So it's not surprising, but it also does point to that gap that you're talking about. Like yeah. there's clearly something missing. And I have, I think, an interesting vantage point because like all of us, I was a student. Like most of us, I am a clinician, a practitioner, but I'm also a teacher. I'm also an administrator. And I'm also spent far too much time on Facebook in the different acupuncture <laughs> groups. So I see the conversations where a lot of times it's the schools that get the blame. Yes. Where practitioners who are now in, in practice, they look back and they say, this is what was missing from our education. And how come the schools don't do a better job of teaching this? But here's the kicker. I've seen literally every facet of our education be identified as the thing the schools should have taught more. And if the schools have only so many hours, they can't teach more biomedicine and more acupuncture and more herbs and more practice management. So different people within our field have different opinions of what's the main thing the schools should have taught more of. But ultimately, the schools should have taught more of everything. We don't have enough of anything by the time we graduate from a master's. Fair. And that's, that harkens back to our master's would be a bachelor's in China. And none of the students there would say like they have enough after their bachelor's. Yeah. So the, the solution is to kind of pursue more education in whatever capacity that's feasible. Now we've got, you know, our mandates for 50 CEU units every two years kind of thing. Like that's something, but someone may pursue the CEUs they're really passionate about, Dong acupuncture or, or some Korean acupuncture or, or classical herbalisms or whatever, or whatever it is. But a lot of times people are going to find as well one of the other thing we see on Facebook is what's the cheapest or quickest way to get CUs. CUs can be treated in the same way that doctorates can, where you just say, what's the most expeditious way to get this done as if it's a hoop to jump through. So people will get out of their educations, what they put into them, whether that's CUs, DACM, DAOM. And I like that you brought this up. I really like that you brought this up because I've also been thinking about this. Like, I've taken classes since I've graduated, lots of classes, but I don't memorize the material to the extent that I did when I was in school. And it just goes, you know, like yes. I get really excited about it. I've taken some Dong courses and I've gotten really excited about it and really want to apply it and use it. But dang, if my flashcards are only half done still th six months later, like it's yeah. different. It's very different. And I really feel like you're onto something with this particular segue into the DAOM a little bit with this because, yeah. because you are held accountable for the information and you are, once again, if you're competitive, which I'm extremely competitive, you're looking around going, oh, that person knows this and they're on this. They're better. Like, oh, I'm always chasing the rabbit. Like for me, I always, <laughs> I always pick a rabbit, somebody that's just a little more articulate, a little smarter, a little quicker. And I'm like, oh, I got to keep up there. Right. So yeah. 
So there's this, and I know not everybody's competitive, and I know that's a dirty word to some generational people. So so take it or leave it. I don't care. It's cool. <laughs> but- well, I think there's a benefit to competitiveness, <laughs> and we could flip it and say there's a benefit to kind of cooperativeness or just collectivism. Yes. But either way, whichever way we have that kind of bent of what motivates us, yeah. community provides it. And yes. being alone doesn't provide it. Yes. So when we graduate, you know, we walk the aisle, we get our degree, we open up our, our practice. It becomes pretty isolating pretty quickly. And yeah. we're used to having teachers to, to validate and approve and, and guide. And we're used to having colleagues to bounce ideas off of and either compare ourselves to, if that's what really gets us going, or, what other to just learn with, or, or to just kind of like learn with. And then suddenly that disappears for a lot of people. And when we had our DAOM start in 2017 at ACCHS, immediately one of the big pieces of feedback that came back for what was really gratifying for the people coming in was that they reconnected with colleagues and they felt like having that community again was such a benefit to them personally as well as professionally. So some of them were right out of their master's. Some of them were a few years out of their master's. Some of them had been in practice 15, 20 years. And they all came into the same classroom at, with different levels of, of experience and history within the medicine, but they all really cherished <clears throat> the community that emerged around what they were learning. So when you learn something together, it's more likely to kind of get integrated because you're chatting about it versus you just learn it alone online or even in a classroom and then come back to your clinic. And like you said, it's in one ear and out the other. Yeah, you It usually- doesn't necessarily change the way you practice. No, I think usually, because I've also been playing this game a really long time because I was a massage therapist for 20 plus many years too. So there was always this like, how much do you really integrate back into your practice when you just do one-off courses? I would say less than 25% of that stuff sticks. Unless all you do the following two to three weeks is just simply that technique, in which case it'll go in a little deeper. But it's, it's yeah, so the DAOM brings a certain level of community and accountability. Yeah. Yeah. And really the goal in a DAOM, ultimately, again, it was initially called a clinical doctorate. So it is, its main goal is primarily that your clinic, your practice is different because of what you've learned, that you integrate in a clinical context, the things you learn in a didactic class, which is so different than most CEUs. It's very different than a DACM. So we structure our clinical training to basically mirror and reinforce what the students are learning didactically. And if they, you know, we really try to create systems where we can evidence that that's happening. And then at the, towards the end of the program, we do surveys with our students to say, you know, do you feel your, your practice has improved in, in this specific area or this area? And by and large, it was unanimous for us that our, our graduates were practicing differently and at a higher level based on what they'd learned. And back when I was a prospective student for DAOMs in, in 2011, 2012, and I was thinking about other programs, I had friends and colleagues who were doing those other programs, but their own clinical practice wasn't changing. The way they selected points, the way they selected herbs was the same as it was before they did the program. So they would get kind of a collection of different seminars with different great teachers. And it was interesting at the time, but it was kind of in one ear and out the other. And they didn't have the cohesion 
Yeah, I hadn't really thought about it this way, but I what I have thought about a lot and it's also that gap, it's a it's a it's a problem upon graduation with your masters. Also why I do what I do because I don't just offer business help or platforms or information. I also really try to support that mental transition and also that feeling of because I felt that way when I graduated like that that like so many things are ripped out from underneath your feet. And that's, of course, it's a transition. So there should be like some feelings of like big insecurity in this transition and trying to find your way. But some of the things that are really integral to to continued confident practice development are confidence, is support. One of the things that we have to, that, that happens so quickly that I think nobody really talks about is we're kind of institutionalized. Many of us are like very free-spirited humans. And during school, we're very sort of institutionalized where somebody's saying, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to memorize. This is when this is due. This is what's on the test. This is what you, and it's almost like you're, this part of you goes into autopilot, allowing, because you have to allow that process. You can't fight that. And somebody's telling you how to do everything. And then all of a sudden, you have a million decisions to make in a million different directions and your money, your life, your family, your everything's kind of on the line and you have zero. There is nobody holding up a hoop, nobody telling you how to get through them, nobody telling you how to get where to go. I'm not going to say nobody. There are some resources, obviously, but they're not a lot for our field, really not a lot. I missed that the most because I personally, I'm very free spirited. I like to do things my way, but sometimes it's faster and easier if you have people who have already done it, like telling you how and ideas and how to get through. I really miss that so much with clinic, with everything. Like, and I tended to turn around and spend even more time. So I would get, because you're only seeing a couple patients. Oh, dear Lord, my God, I would spend hours and hours and hours on one patient making sure that this formula that I was putting together was like the perfect formula and researching the Western perspective of, you know, their stuff and every medication and how that interacts with everything else. And it was exhausting. It would have been just nice to be like, hey, senior practitioner or hey, classroom full of DAOM people. Like, what do you think about this? And have that support. It was really lacking. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's very real. That that gap that you've identified and that you're dedicating yourself to to filling is very real. And you're certainly, I know with confidence, you're not alone in having felt that. Nope. And like you say, nervousness is appropriate. It's a big transition. You go from a certain level of of guidance to to really none very quickly. I think that transition is a little too abrupt and too dramatic, and that's why so many people struggle with it. I think the DAOM largely does ameliorate that situation. And for the people who are fresh out of the masters or relatively new in their practice, most people don't immediately open up their website and open up their clinic door and have a full schedule. You know, the vast majority are going to start gradually and build up gradually. And hopefully within a few years, they've got that very full schedule. Circling back to do a, a, a doctorate degree when someone already has a very full schedule as well as the, you know, other life commitments and everything is, I think, probably more challenging for most people than engaging in a DAOM within the first few years when they're not fully booked out. 
you know, two, three months in advance, et cetera. And I think the stakes feel so high when we're first coming out of school because we were doing this at the school clinic where the patient was not paying us directly. We obviously wanted to treat them to the best of our abilities, but our ability to, to put food on the table and pay our rent was not really contingent on how skillfully we treated those patients. And suddenly the next week it is. So the stakes feel really high. If you only have a handful of patients, you really want to do right by them. So like you said, you would spend hours researching the herbal formula you were crafting and someone could do the same with their acupuncture point prescription and they might not have anyone to turn to exactly. if they didn't really forge really close connection with their previous teachers and feel they could reach out to them without imposing. So that time, I think one of the big things with the DAOM is like our students within a few months of, of engaging in the program would have these classes with, say, Anthony Vondermuhl for orthopedic acupuncture, and they would learn these assessments for the head, neck, and thorax, or the shoulders and upper extremities, et cetera. And who doesn't have patients with neck pain or shoulder pain, et cetera, you know, on a weekly basis? And suddenly to be able to determine through a little physical exam that it's this muscle or this tendon, et cetera, just results were better. And when results are better in someone's first few weeks or first few months of practice, then the patient starts to refer. And it's a really great way to build up a practice is to have that confidence and that competence in your clinical ability that goes beyond what we learned in our master's. So it's, I think a, a DAOM is actually, it doesn't slow down building a practice. I think it speeds up building a practice because you're achieving better results with those first few critical patients who are the people you hope are going to turn around and refer their, their family and their friends to you. So it is a bit of a gap filler for sure. Yeah. So yeah, you just sort of blew my mind. <laughs> I, hadn't, I mean, I really hadn't, I hadn't thought about it because honestly, I graduated in my mid forties and I was whooped. I looked at the doctoral program and I wanted to do, and you know, I even like, I, I applied to ACCHS too, I think in 2018. So right after I graduated and I was just still like, I just need to sleep. Like I couldn't, there was no chi for it whatsoever. So it's also, it's, yeah. Yeah. So you, you're shifting me internally and I'm verbalizing anyway. Yeah. yeah. And I do remember speaking with you <laughs> oh, back yeah. then. And I, because I'm a teacher as well in the master's program and I have, I think, good relationships with a lot of our master's students, I know the state that people are in when they graduate and it's a depleted state. Yeah. You know, most people yeah. are really ready to just sleep for six months. Yeah. There is also, and I do communicate this with our own students, but it's nice to be able to have a, a broader platform and communicate a little more globally to people in other schools as well. There's a difference learning in the MSTCM versus learning in, within a doctorate. And like you said, a lot of us are kind of free spirited if we're drawn to this medicine, but we're kind of institutionalized and it's the nature of a master's degree. We we're all adults when we take this program, but we're treated a little bit like children with attendance and very firm timelines for assignments and this and that. And by and large, I think within a doctorate degree, there's a, a recognition that this person's an adult, they're licensed, they're already supporting themselves with their, with their clinic. Uh, they have a lot of capability already in professionalism in their own life. And the learning environment is more that you're learning because you want to learn versus you're learning because this is a hoop you have to jump through to get licensed. The feeling is really different. And I think the feeling is not quite as likely to lead to something like burnout or exhaustion. I think 
for a lot of people, the actual learning in the DAOM can be invigorating and instill enthusiasm. Whereas a lot of the learning towards the end of our master's degree is, it's like you're at the end of a marathon, you're slugging through it. Yeah. And so it might not really be invigorating in terms of, of how you feel about life and the medicine. <laughs> the DAOM, I think ideally should be crafted along the lines of what is inspiring. Yeah. And it's fascinating because when I started Chinese medical school, I was so excited to be with my people of, you know, the collective weirdos and misfits and smart nerds and all of it, like all of it put together. It just felt so good to finally be in a space where you could settle in a little bit. Um, I thought that it was really fun to be studying something that or studying with other people who wanted to be in the room. Right. Because you just go through. It's funny because my first year of the master's program, I had to go back and take biology during the summer and pick up biology and chemistry and be and I went to a, a, a two year school to do that, you know, like a oh, an associate community college. Yes. Yeah. And sitting in that classroom was torture because 90 percent of the people in there did not want to be there. And they were just like teenagers messing around in high school. It was so hard. <laughs> Not yeah. only that, I didn't want to be there either. Let's just be honest. Yeah. Like who yeah. wants to go back and take that? I mean, it's interesting, but it's really not where I wanted to be for the summer. So anyway, briefly talk about how COVID changed the doctoral programs and what that looks like now. Because originally you had to, with the, with the DAOM programs, you have to be on campus a certain amount of hours. Clinic hours are included, right? Isn't this part of the structure of the DA? Yeah. Okay. So can you talk yeah. about that a little bit? Yeah. That, I think that's a very good question. It's very timely. The, the programs have evolved a great deal within a very short time because of the nature of COVID and the pandemic and distance education. By necessity, all of this has changed. And so if I think back to you know, when you first got in touch and we spoke in 2018, the reality of the program was someone from out of state would have to fly in monthly for two years or every other month for four years. And we'd figure out how to, to accomplish clinic and, you know, try to create clinical intensive that lasts maybe several weeks at a time where a lot of hours can be hammered out. It was a very difficult degree to pursue if it wasn't local. And one of our teachers in, in our own DAOM, Dr. Henry McCann, he got his DAOM at Ocom when he lived on the East Coast. So he did that. You know, people back in the day, in those earlier days of the DAOM, would travel every month. And Lots of them. If it's a, yeah. Yeah, if I worked in four the, days. I worked in the clinic for the doctoral on Sundays for the doctoral program. Like I was their little receptionist or whatever. And uh -huh. that's why I think that maybe that shaped my perspective of, oh, hell no, not right now, because these were people, just like you said, who were running their busy clinics. They would fly out on a Thursday morning, show up and go Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, fly out and see patients again on Monday. And I was like, oh, for God's sakes, no. Like, I can hardly keep my eyes open. So, yeah, yeah it was a lot a minimum, of work. And I think a that was of four days. Yeah, I think that was one of the things that I was like, oh, you know, and I'm even on the West Coast, but it's still a bit of like, Oakland's not that easy. You can fly into two different airports. You're going to have to take the train and figure that out. And then where are you going to live? And then it was really, it felt heavy. So sorry for the interruption, but yeah, go ahead. Tell, tell us more. Yeah. No, I think that's right. And you, you echo what a big commitment that was for those people who were doing that kind of travel. Yeah. And the, the pandemic 
you know, one of the positive things that arises out of it is we figured out that we can do a lot more things online than we gave ourselves credit for before. Yeah. And so we've been teaching these DAOM courses online for, for over two years now. By and large, it's going great. We have a lot of students at this point who are out-of-state students. We even have out-of-country students. And now ACOM has introduced, because they realize as well that, you know, the the old policies surrounding distance education really should be revised based on the fact that every school has been doing distance education for two years and that the minimums they had previously set might not apply anymore in a feasible way in this world now. So they've reopened this process to apply for distance education. And there are newer regulations and rules about how many, how many hours, what percentage of the program can be offered in that way, how much of the clinic, et cetera. But the short answer is the, the, the majority of the program at this point can be offered as distance education. So people, if they're out of state, can do most of it from home. A lot of the clinical training can take many different forms. And when I was first applying to create the doctorate program back in the day, 2013, 2014, I think it was all but a hundred hours had to be kind of on site and you could choose a hundred hours of clinical training. Now in a, a DAOM program, that's somewhere around 600, 650 hours of clinical training. So all but a hundred hours had to be on site at the school. And now that's almost reversed where the vast majority of it can happen off site. So students have a lot more options and a lot more flexibility in completing the program from a distance with greatly cutting down on how much travel is necessary. So those early pioneers who traveled every month for yeah. two years, taking four to six days out of their schedule every month, we can honor and salute their commitment, <laughs> but we don't necessarily have to consign ourselves to the same yeah. level yeah. of investment. But on the flip side, you are still offering classes in on campus. Yeah. Yeah. Some classes will definitely be on campus. And then the decision of which classes will be on campus versus which ones will be offered as distance education will largely be based on the pragmatic nature of the class. If it's more hands-on, if there's physical assessment, if there's needling of structures you've never needled before, we want that in person. You're going to gain a lot from doing it where you're actually practicing that together versus if it's a class about historical schools of Chinese medicine or or yeah. herbal practice that can very easily be done via distance education online. Right. You don't give up anything. You don't lose anything in that transmission. Yeah. So we probably should wind down a little bit, but I'd really love for you to, well, for the listeners, just know that like, I love, I love your program. Your, your DAOM is my favorite. It would be my number one choice. Sorry to my alma mater, just purely based on topics, honestly. And also because I feel like it complements OCOM. Like I love OCOM's program. I feel so fortunate to have gone there and gotten my master's there. I feel like it was a really robust and in-depth and really honestly hard and to the point. But where where its weaknesses are, you pick that up and run with it. So I would say that. Ocom, since I'm on the topic, sorry guys, because I'm you may be curious. So Ocom was really robust in Western biomedicine and also really pretty robust in orthopedic. Like maybe its weak point is more in the classics. Our herb program was insanely robust and very very good, but perhaps the class the classics are a little weaker compared to the local NUNM. But uh -huh. anyway, anyway, so. 
that's one of the reasons that I'm drawn to your program because you also have, I feel like you could fill that gap and bring me up to speed a little bit more. And I really love pain management and orthopedic acupuncture, which you also do a great job of. So why don't you share a little bit about your DAOM and perhaps contrast it with a couple other programs. You don't have to name them if you don't want to, but maybe what makes your program stand out? Sure. Well, thank you for those kind words. Yeah. I'd first like to say I'd, I'd like to give a shout out in a sense and props to just all of those, my colleagues in those schools who continue to have a DAOM program. OCOM, you've mentioned five branches, Yosan emperors, among others, these schools that continue to offer, again, that pinnacle degree in Chinese medicine when it's not the most easy or lucrative program to offer. So the schools that have introduced a DACM have largely, I think, phased out their DAOMs. Because they would run two competing programs that were kind of cannibalizing one another. But ultimately, the one that's kind of more marketable and more appealing to most people because it's more convenient, it's quicker, it's less expensive. If the main goal is the the title, then a a DAOM is is a harder way to, to engage as a student, but also a harder program to teach as an administration than to offer. So those schools that continue to offer a DAOM, I think they're doing it out of passion for for education in Chinese medicine. And I really want to just commend all of those individuals involved in those programs and those schools still doing that. Thank you and for then, bringing that up. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And then the schools themselves have different cultures and their programs have different areas of specialization. And I can say that, you know, my main motivation at ACCHS was, again, I was given kind of carte blanche to, to envision a program from the ground up. And largely it was about what are those things clinically that I'm most inspired by? Who are the types of teachers I want to learn from? And can we bring them all into one place? And early in my education, when I was still a master's student, I started to study with Arnaud Versluis, who is a wonderful Shanghan Lun teacher. So I became inspired by classical herbalism right off the bat. And Dr. Huang Huang in China, Dr. Suzanne Robidou at this point, teaching internationally. Just we have so many really good teachers and programs for classical herbalism that in my mind, the idea of cutting up our patient population into disease categories or into demographics and saying, I want to specialize with this subset of the patient population. I was actually more drawn to being a a generalist in practice and specializing in a system that allowed me to treat everybody. So whether it's geriatrics, whether it's gynecology, whether it's fertility, whether it's digestive conditions or autoimmune disorders, et cetera, I wanted to learn the system that gave me confidence and skill in treating any of that. And in my mind, the, the cohesive system within Chinese medicine that, that largely fulfills that is, is classical herbalism, which basically means Zhang Zhongjing's work. And I think there's a lot more resources that we have to really dive very deeply into the Shanghan Lun than into, say, the Pi Wei Lun or, or Wen Bing or other historical schools or movements within Chinese medicine. There's just more out there for us, so many more books, translations, teachers to get very knowledgeable and skillful with Shanghan Lun thinking. And then because historically it was the first, it also serves as the foundation for all later schools of thought. So if someone really wants to delve into Li Dongyuan's work with the Pi Wei Lun Spleen Stomach School 
and they've got a very firm basis in the Shanghan Lun, I think it's much easier for them to understand what was he thinking? Why did he do this? Why did he omit that herb or include this herb, etc.? So from an herbal perspective, I thought that allows our students to treat everything and everybody. And then from a pain perspective, because so many of our patients do come in with that chief complaint of pain, I wanted both anatomically informed systems as well as maybe traditionally channel-oriented systems. So we have Anthony Vondermule teach over 200 hours of orthopedics along a very cohesive, well-thought-out and well-broken-down system of first going through the introduction and then jing-jin and then sectional areas like head, neck, thorax, shoulder, and upper extremities, etc. But then we've also got Dr. Henry McCann to do 60 hours of dong acupuncture. We've got a few other systems that are going to use more traditional channel theory of, of balancing and tissue uh, correspondence, channel correspondence. So students will get both distal and local and know when to use one or the other or how to combine both. Uh, so I feel like our students should be able to treat anybody who walks in the door, whether it's pain or internal medicine, whether it's chronic or acute, etc. And that's how that program took shape. Is there anything else that you, that maybe we didn't address or talk about that you have or would like to talk about? Well, I think we've, we've addressed our topic pretty well today. I would like just to invite anyone out there who is curious, like to know more about, again, these distinctions between the different programs in general or anything about the ACCHS program specifically, absolutely feel free to get in touch. I love talking about Chinese medicine. I love talking about Chinese medicine education whether that's on Facebook, email correspondence, whatever it is. So so the invitation is there. Great. We'll put that in the show notes for you guys so you'll know how to get in touch with Phil. Thanks again so much, Phil. I really appreciate you coming on and taking the time to do this. My pleasure, Stacey. All right. Good to talk to you again. That's it. That's the end of the show. Thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate you guys. And if you appreciate this podcast, it would be amazing if you could head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a great review. And if you don't like what I'm doing, then that's okay. No worries. Just skip it.